Well, good morning, Alpine. How are we doing today? Good. Very good. What a beautiful weekend here in the suburbs of Chicago. It is uh, wonderful. You guys look good. You sound good. Can we just thank our band? They are so good all the time. I love you guys. You guys love me. That's typically how that, I, I say, okay. Just checking, you know. Well, hey, my name is Josh. I'm one of the staff pastors here. And uh, if you haven't noticed, in the last couple of weeks, there's been kind of a rhythm that's developed um, very naturally. And uh, we've had people who have been sitting in these seats who have felt the call and the need on their life to go plant churches. And um, as you're probably wondering why I'm up here today, um, I want to go ahead and just let you in on something. Uh, it's probably an appropriate time to tell you guys this. And um, Robin and I will not be planting a church, okay? So... <laughs> Just wanted to go ahead and uh, get that out there really quick. Um, we actually pray against that all the time. <laughs> I love the people who do that. I've done it a few times. We're going to be praying for them, right? We'll be praying for them from a distance. So it's all, it's all good. But hey, if you are new to this whole church thing, um, I just want to let you know today that this is way more than just a, a service. This is way more than an auditorium. This is way more than an experience. This is actually a place where uh, people get together, uh, a collection of people who get together. We love each other, we love God, and we're here just trying to figure out this whole thing of life together. So hopefully if you are here today and you're new, that you feel ultimately encouraged, uh, that you meet some people who love you and you've probably had a great cup of coffee with already, and we just want you to know that you're welcome and that you can stick around as long as you'd like, and we would be very glad for you to do that. Right now, some of you are thinking, that's my time that I can exit right now. Don't do that. That would be awkward for me, okay? So, but uh, hey, let's just, uh, let's, we've been talking over the last couple weeks about kingdom over everything, uh, kingdom over everything, and we've been looking at a series of things in these areas in our lives that the world is competing for, and we've been taking note through scripture what those areas actually look like when the kingdom is over those areas of our life. Uh, and we started off um, talking about what it looks like to have kingdom over culture and, and what it looks like to stand firm in our culture. And we talked about what it looks like to have kingdom over our work or our vocation. And, and today it leads us to our third installment of this series called Kingdom Over Religion. Uh, I think it's the third. It could be the fourth, depending on how you're counting this series out. But kingdom over religion is where we're going to go today. And if I can, I want to give us kind of a slingshot passage, something that will give us a platform to kind of dive into if I can. And this passage is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. And this is Jesus speaking to us. Uh, it's a very paradoxical uh, passage in nature. And it says this, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And of course, Jesus is talking about in this passage is whoever tries to control his or her life, whoever tries to sit in the driver's seat, whoever tries to steer the ship of their life or build something on their own, in context of our series, build something outside of the umbrella of the rule and reign of God. When you try to build something outside of that, you're going to find yourself feeling like you haven't found the life that you're actually looking for. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You think you've got everything figured out, you think you're doing it just right, and yet you feel so close, but actually you're so 
far away from the very life that God wants you to experience. So with that thought in mind, let's pray and let's dive right in today. Lord, we thank you uh, for these moments that we get to share together. Um, I thank you for this opportunity to share your truth, your word of God. Lord, we know that it is not only just a love letter to your people, but it is a blueprint for our modern day life right now. And I pray that these words today won't just be my words, God, but it'll be your word coming alive in our hearts. that will actually compel us as we walk out of this place to live and to look more like your son. Lord, I also pray for all the parents in the room whose kids have been out of school for a really long time. They're starting to question whether or not you are real. So we pray for them in these moments also. In your name, amen. I used to love summer. I, I really did. I also used to love when my kids were out, you know, like in summer. And now I'm like, if I hear the word Fortnite one more time, I'm going to open the school doors and just lock you in there, right? Like, just go back to school already. You know what I mean? Um, I played basketball growing up. I know that you guys are looking at me right now, and you're like, of course you did. That's very obvious. Look, I know. Thank you. Uh, I played basketball growing up. And I can remember my freshman year in high school, my varsity coach asked me to play up into this really large tournament. It was the Midwest Max Prep High School Tournament. I went to a private high school. And uh, I remember getting this invitation, thinking this is a really cool opportunity. Of course I'm going to play, right? I mean, this is a big deal. And uh, tournament time rolls around, and our coach is sitting there, and he's giving us kind of the rundown of what we are supposed to do. Like, this is our game plan. Our game plan basically consisted of give the ball to our 6'5 All-State All-Star and get out of the way, right? <laughs> that was our game plan. I'm like, hey, I can do that. No big deal, right? So here we come into game time. As luck would have it, our starters get themselves into a little bit of trouble. And I remember our coach looking down the bench, going, all right, Blick, you're in. You know? So I'm like, okay, cool. And I like find my way onto the court. And there's anywhere from like 5,000 to 500 people in this auditorium, right? I mean, numbers are a little bit hazy for me, but I just remember it being packed to the rafters. Like, this is a big moment, right? And I remember sitting there at the top of the arc, probably scanning the crowd for my girlfriend, who later would become my wife, so it was okay. But I was, remember sitting there at the top, and a Patriot player shot a long shot, and I remember it bouncing all the way, falling right into my hands. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I have the ball, and I remember looking the other direction, and the court was wide open. Like, this is my moment to shine. Now, if you're here and you think this is going to end with me doing a fast break dunk, a dunk, it's not. I'm not a show-off. I'm a humble man, okay? I wouldn't do that to my opponent. It's okay. I, never mind. But I, I wouldn't do that, right? So I look down there, and I'm like, my coach yells, go! I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to go, right? So I do what anybody would naturally do, and I get the ball, and I just, like, head down. I'm like, I just start dribbling, like, as fast as I possibly can to get to the other end of the court before all the big guys caught up with me, right? And I'm just going as fast as I can. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no need to look up. It feels like I should be there by now. And I went to take off. I'm like, it is time to take off. So I go and I'm like, I go to take off, right? And when I go to take off, the rim, the rim was like over here, right? And I was like over here, okay? Yeah, so if you know basketball, that's not good, okay? So I go to take off and I'm like, oh, dang. Like, you have a choice at this moment, right? Like, you, like, throw it off the backboard, catch it, and you're like, dunk. You know, like, no, that's not an option for me, right? So I'm like, what do, what do I do, right? I have an option. And I'm like, 
oh my goodness. I'm like, I'm like, it's time. I'm like, I'm here. And I'm like, I do like one of these deals. Oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. I do one of these things. I'm like, <laughs> from like a step past the free throw line, right? And it like bricks off the front of the rim, jumps the other direction. And like the other team goes on like this fast break. And I can remember my uh, JV coach, who happens to be my brother-in-law, as I'm like sitting there just wondering what I just did. He goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I really don't even know what I'm doing. And he's like, just puts his head down. And my coach yanks me out of the game and cussed at me. Kind of hurt my feelings just a little bit, but that's okay. Have you ever been in these moments in life where it feels so right, but yet you are actually so far away? Like, have you experienced these kind of moments in life where things just feel like you're just doing life, you're just doing life, and you feel so right, and all of a sudden you kind of look around and you're like, I'm nowhere near where I need to be right now. Like, maybe you feel like this and you establish a rhythm like this, like in your walk with the Lord, where you're just like head down and you're just like, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, and like, you look up and you're like, this is not, I'm nowhere near where God wants me to be right now. Or maybe it's in like a personal life development plan or like some kind of like diet plan or, or maybe it's just like you're just in your work life, whatever it is, you're just like, I'm not anywhere near where I, where I need to be right now. See, I think that religion has a way of doing this, doing this to us. It has a way of putting on this facade or this spiritual blindfold, if you will, and we're just doing life, and we put this blindfold on. We're just doing life, doing life, doing life. And all of a sudden, you're like, you kind of peel it away, and you're like, oh, I'm not anywhere near the kingdom of God. I'm not anywhere near the heartbeat of our Father. And you just kind of go, man, can I be so, feel so right, and yet be so far away? Can I, can I hit the religious target and actually end up missing the mark altogether? See, today I want to look at a, a group of men that, quite honestly, they felt right all the time, but actually when we look at them more in depth, we realize that they missed it quite often. It's an easy group to pick on. They're very religious in nature, and they get called religious very often throughout scriptures. So it's easy today to kind of draw this comparison to them. But as we look at this, I want us to learn something about what it looks like to choose religion over kingdom, what it looks like in our everyday lives. Because in all honesty, our everyday, Monday through Friday, go to work, not so sexy kind of life is actually what matters the most to us here at Alpine. Because if what we do in these moments don't actually help you on a Tuesday morning in a meeting when your boss is yelling at you, or at 9 o'clock at night when your kids are yelling to play more Fortnite or they need V-Bucks, whatever, all the time, like all these things, if it doesn't help you to actually be better and to model Christ in your everyday life, then what we do in these moments is actually just rhetoric and religious services. We need to be able to take God's word, which we believe is helpful, not my words, but God's word, which is helpful, walk outside of these walls and actually be compelled to look more like Jesus. So we turn to scripture today in John chapter 8. This is John. The book of John is by far my favorite passage. I could teach probably an entire year out of the book of John. I love this book. In John chapter 8, verse 1, we'll be spending the majority of our time here together. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again to the temple. 
all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees. Here he is, he's in the middle of teaching and the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. The language here is very gory, it's very intense, it's very visual. She was actually caught in the middle of the act of adultery and now she's being placed in the middle of Jesus' teaching. Placing her in the midst, only minutes after finding her in the act, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him so they might have some charges to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. Now, so much has been made about what Jesus might have been writing in the dirt in these moments. If you've been around church long enough or if you've read any Christian books, we like to speculate quite a bit on what could have been, what Jesus could have been writing in these moments. Uh, We talk about this often. But the point wasn't what Jesus was writing in the dirt. If the author John wanted us to know what Jesus was writing in the dirt, guess what? He would have told us. Isn't that crazy? He would have told us what he's writing. But what John wants us to actually see in this moment is Jesus' posture and that his holy finger is now doodling in the dirt. And this posture is clearly frustrating her accusers, the scribes and the Pharisees, because it says, and they continued to ask him. They're like, hey, hey, why is this guy ignoring us? What's he doing? We don't know how long this interaction goes on between the Pharisees and Jesus, but what we know is that Jesus sits there silently doodling in the dirt. He changes the entire flow, the entire structure of this interruption, and then he changes his posture again, and he stands up and he says to them, let him who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And once more, John thinks it's important that we know this, and once more, He bent down and he wrote in the dirt. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. I love this statement. I love Jesus in this moment. And he says, neither do I. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I want to make three key observations in the time that we have left about this story, about this scene, about what it can mean for you and I to choose kingdom over religion. Some of these things that perhaps we are called, that we are challenged, or maybe even as you do a one-over on your life, maybe it's an encouragement to you that you actually don't relate as entirely as you may think to this story when it comes to this portion of scripture and choosing God's kingdom over religion. So if we can, let's go back to the scene. Let's place ourselves in the midst of what's going on because I believe that's what God wants us to do and it's going to help us actually mine out some of the details that's happening here. See, I believe that Jesus is in the middle of what I consider to be a very tender moment. He's in a teaching moment. And the posture of a rabbi who would teach is he was sitting down. And it's safe to assume that there were other people sitting with him in this moment while Jesus is teaching. Having this moment, people are there just just listening and receiving from Jesus, and their hearts are probably burning with the reality that God incarnate is actually teaching about himself, that he is the truth, that he is the light, and possibly teaching about the kingdom of God at hand so often that he did. And in this very moment where he's teaching, he's dramatically interrupted. One scholar writes a section 
uh, it actually talks about that this is a space in Scripture where Jesus could have been shocked. Do you ever imagine that Jesus, the Son of God, could be shocked? He was so, so uh, profound about this that he wrote an entire dissertation about how this was the portion of Scripture that Jesus was shocked and what it would be like to be Jesus and actually be shocked. Here's Jesus. He's in the middle of teaching, and these, these holy men, these people, these Pharisees, these teachers who were probably teachers in that temple, they, they interrupt him. They bring in a woman who was probably naked, barely clothed at best, and they drop her in the middle of his Sunday service. This is not okay. This is inappropriate. This is nothing that you want to be a part of. And quite honestly, it was probably shocking. But I want us to watch the difference between the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus in this moment. See, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're making very quick work of this moment. Notice the pace that John tells this story. Notice the speed at which everything is happening. The woman is caught in the act of adultery. She is thrown into the middle of Jesus' teachings. They quote scripture. They quote Deuteronomy and say, hey, the law of Moses says this, quoting Deuteronomy. She says she should be stoned. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And now notice Jesus in this moment. He says, nothing. No response, not a, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, guys, I'm, I'm teaching right now. We can wait to handle this situation afterwards. This is inappropriate. He says, nothing. In fact, on top of saying nothing, he does something that's so peculiar as he just bends down and starts doodling in the dirt. When I look at this scene, I, I think I start to feel and look a lot like the guys holding the rocks in their hands than I do Jesus. And of course, the goal is to look more and more like Jesus each and every day. So what is Jesus trying to display to us in this story? What is Jesus trying to display to us in this moment? And here's my first observation that I want you to take note of today is when it comes to religion in our life, I think the first way that it tends to show up is that we are quick to pass judgment. We are quick to pass judgment. See, so much has been made about what Jesus may have been doing in the dirt, but I want to make much of Jesus' posture in this moment, is how, how he dramatically and drastically slows down this entire scene. There are men here who are hurried to pass judgment. They are in a hurry to execute a woman. They want to kill her. They want it done fast. Stones already in hand as they are asking the questions to Jesus. And Jesus slows this entire thing down as he kneels down, stays silent, calm, collected, and just begins doodling in the dirt. This agitates them. It's, it's, it just agitates them. They're like little kids who can't get an answer from their mom or their dad. Mom, mom, dad, dad, just pestering and poking, and they want their answer, and they want it now. And we're not supposed to know what Jesus was writing in the dirt, but what we are supposed to know is how Jesus slowed everything down and remained calm in this moment. Interestingly enough, that we know Jesus to be the word of God, the living word of God. And in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says that we are to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. Slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. 
See, I think a lot of people like to say that religion is actually just judgment, but I want to make it more specific. I think it's actually quick judgment. To all the Christians in the room, if I can pick on my own kind for a moment, you need to understand that one of our reputations worldwide is that we are quick to pass judgment. Not just that we are judgmental, but we are quick to pass judgment. We are quick to put people in categories. We are quick to put people in classes. We are quick to decide who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, who's saved and who's not saved. We are quick to do all these things. And then we end up actually taking on the persona of the Pharisees and their religious mindset and actually missing it altogether. Jesus! What are you doing? He's being who he is. And we're supposed to be emulating him in life. Are you slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger? You see, an indication that you might be blinded by religion in this life is that you might be quick to pass judgment. This brings me to my second observation in this story, if you're taking notes, is that we have to let go of being right. Oh, man, this, this is a tough one. Uh, and honestly, this could be an entire message in and of itself, is that we have to let go of being right. You see, the reason that we pass swift judgment is because we know we're right. Why would I wait for anything when I already know that I'm right? Why? Why, why, why wait? Here's the thing, is that actually these guys, the ones holding the rocks in their hand, they're actually quoting Deuteronomy accurately. Where does, it, where does Jesus say in this passage, no, 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 you guys got it all wrong? He doesn't because they're right. In fact, they probably have the Torah memorized verbatim, word for word. They are quoting scripture to the Son of God, and they're right. This is what it says, quoting Moses. He says it, so we should, you know, this is right. But they are right and so wrong at the same time. Isn't it amazing how you can be right in the letter of the law and be wrong in the spirit of the law? Let me say it again because I'm telling you right now, this is something that we have to walk out of here understanding. You can be right in the letter of the law and you can miss the spirit of the law altogether. For Jesus summarized hundreds of laws into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second, guess what? It's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The key operative word is love. Love. I wonder sometimes if we are known for being carriers of the truth, if we are known for being ambassadors of the truth, and because we have this truth, we are so quick to speak. We are so quick to post we are so quick to share on whatever platform you choose. And because we have the truth, the Bible says that that truth will set you free. And we want everyone to know what that truth is. But yet the Bible also tells us that if we're to speak, we should speak in love. Which tells me that if you don't love, you shouldn't speak. How dare we speak the truth to someone when it's not totally immersed in love, for all they will hear is law and judgment. You 
You know, Jesus never spoke to anyone who he didn't love. He never spoke truth to anyone he didn't love. For he loves everyone. He is the personification of love. And I just wonder sometimes if we can't actually have the care, the compassion, the empathy, and the love like Jesus. I wonder if we should just be quiet. We definitely shouldn't speak, and we definitely shouldn't speak as representatives of Jesus. Finally, my my last observation in this religious encounter, and as I was thinking about this, this is probably the most obvious one as it's drawn out, but I think this is a really tough one for us also. I don't know if I call this a hurdle, a roadblock, but I really view it more as a prison wall that keeps us bound to religion and actually won't allow you to live in the freedom that the kingdom is calling you to. And it's this, is that you have to let go of your condemnation. Let go of your condemnation. This comes straight from the words of Jesus in this, in this passage. He says, neither do I condemn you. We have to let it go. See, condemnation has a way of perpetually reminding you of your mistakes, your misses, your issues, your shortcomings, and it leaves you in this feeling or it leaves you in this state of thinking, I have to have it all figured out, otherwise I actually don't belong, I actually can't be accepted, and what happens is that you get into this feeling of constantly trying to just, I can work this out, I can do this better, I can try harder, I can do these things, and all of a sudden, the rule and the rain that's over here, you're actually here going, I can build a life all on my own that's going to feel better because I can't be accepted over there. That's what condemnation will do. Instead of perpetually reminding you of Jesus, our victor, of Jesus, our savior, it reminds you of the very things that Jesus sets you free. We have to let go of our condemnation. See, condemnation comes from your heart, the Bible says. Your heart is actually what's condemning you. First John chapter three, it says that your heart will condemn you. And when it does, it says that God is greater than your heart. Listen to me, church. I believe that condemnation is wreaking havoc on our message of love in this world. We say all the time here that you belong here. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, you belong. Condemnation says that's a lie. I see what you've done. I know what you did. I know who you are behind closed doors and you're not accepted. And Jesus says in this scene, he says, where, where are your accusers? She says, they're, they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And he's the only one in this scene who can for he's the only one sitting in this scene that's actually sinless and perfect who could condemn, and he says, neither do I condemn you. That is the freedom that we experience when living and walking in the kingdom of God. When you relinquish control of your life and you give it to him and you stop trying to figure it out on your own and you step under his rule and reign, you begin to experience that freedom in your life. Can you let that just sink in over your life today? Neither do I condemn you. 
That's the life in the kingdom. See, the forgiveness of Jesus works just like we see in this story. He literally is saying, what I have done for you physically and tangibly in this story, I will do for your soul. I will send away your sins from the oldest to the youngest. You know how Jesus paid for your sins? One by one, he paid for each and every one of them. It says that he thought of you while he was on the cross, that he knew you before you were born. And he thinks of us and he sends away our sins one by one. The oldest sin, all the way to the most recent, reaching all the way into our future, he sends them away. See, this woman experiences the tangible, physical gospel so that we can have a portrait of what Jesus wants to do in our own lives. Can we let go of our own condemning sentences today? You know what's amazing about Romans 8? Uh, 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right now. See, I think it's amazing when we come into these spaces and we have these videos at baptism time or it's testimony night and somebody gets up here and they're like, hey, back in the 80s, I used to have, you know, and they start listing off all these things. You don't feel condemnation for something that's 20 years removed. But when someone gets up and they say, oh, last night, you're like, oh my goodness, get the mic out of Billy's hand. You can't say that. That was last night. But Romans 8 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But you know how that verse works? For those who are in Christ. For those who are under Christ, who are relinquishing control, who are giving their life over to him, they are in Christ. That's what we are being invited into. That's the kind of freedom and the life that we are being invited into. And when you do that, your life gets to be defined by love, by care, compassion, empathy, a listening ear, one that is slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. And all of a sudden, when you start rehearsing those rhythms in life, you start to look a lot like the guy who is doodling in the dirt. Someone who came full of grace and full of truth full of grace and full of truth. Can that be the message that we walk out of this space with today? One that is full of grace and full of truth. My prayer for all of us is that we become part of God's solution, not part of the problem that the world sees. Is that we can actually slow down our judgment. We can let go of our needs to be right and we can be free from our condemning sentences. And if we do that, we actually begin to see them. You know who them are. Those are the people who, who you've identified, the groups of individuals, uh, the groups of people, the religions, the races, the, however you look at it. And you actually start to see them the same way that Jesus does. The fact is, is that he loves them just as much as he loves every person sitting in these seats today. Can we carry that message with us as we go into our work 
as we go into our neighborhoods, as we go into our cities, into our communities, into our cul-de-sacs, into our cubicles. My goodness, that was alliterated on the fly. Come on now. (laughs) Can we be that kind of church? One who is so caught up in God's kingdom and his love that we actually begin to look a lot like him. Can I pray for us today? Maybe even in this moment before I pray, as you're looking through this story, very simply, you just need to ask God to forgive you. This isn't a a big call or a big plea, but I think that the scriptures and the word of God sometimes probes our heart and highlights areas maybe that we need work on. And maybe you're here and you're just thinking, man, God, I'm sorry. I am actually really quick to pass judgment. I'm sorry. I always feel like I need to be right and I need to tell people what the truth is. And maybe it's not always covered in love. And God, can you just help me as my heart is constantly condemning me and I'm condemning others, can you remind me that you are greater than that and that there is no condemnation in you? And as I walk with you every day, I'll become more like you. But in the meantime, there is no condemnation when I am with you. Can you help me with those things? God, that's my prayer for all of us today, is that we leave this place being inspired by your word and looking more like your son. Help us, Lord, to not feel like we are so close, but actually be so far away from your heart. Help us to walk with you and to love like you. In your name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.